I hate those introductions. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with the way the introduction is made. It's just when, when congregations send you an, an invitation, they say, okay, well, send us a biographical sketch. And worse yet, when they ask for a photo, what are you trying to do? Ain't nobody going to come to this thing. But, uh, you know, you send this biographical sketch full of a lot of information that does not matter to brothers and sisters sitting in the pew. and don't matter a whole lot to me either. Professionally, I guess maybe it makes a difference somewhere, but uh, we're just here to study the Bible together, brothers and sisters. Who, isn't it a wonderful thing that God has made His church in such a way that all of us, regardless of our background and training, things like that, could just open up the pages of Scripture and listen to what God has to say. May God be praised for His wisdom, and may we be humble in our study of His Word, both willing to listen and act according to what we read there. Appreciate the... Uh, theme for this series, I, I'll say this is a, is a very different kind of thing than, than I normally do. I mean, normally when, I, when I'm preaching somewhere, I just want, I want to open the Bible to a particular place and I want to say, okay, here's what the Lord had to say through his inspired writer in that place. I want to follow the text. I looked for a passage on distracted by your own mind and I was not able to find a place I could do a good expository sermon there, but there is an awful lot in Scripture about the way that we as Christians interact with our world and the way that we either focus or are distracted by the things around us. I love being able to go places and visit with brothers and sisters like you. It's one of the great privileges I have, and I, I love it. I'm sitting here right now, and I'm looking out at you, and you're looking up at me, and you're all so sweet. You're all just nice, paying attention to me. This is now, Ten minutes from now, you may be going, but right now, you're just here in. I really appreciate that. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that we share something very, very important in common. I actually share several very important things in common. One of the things we share in common is good, and that is that we are children of God. Now, this is the Sunday night crowd. Faithful folks attend here, and you're glad to be here, and I'm sure glad to be here with you. The other thing we have in common, however, is the fact that we are susceptible to various challenges in terms of the way that we think. So I, uh, I drew the straw of being distracted by my own thoughts, as I've described it there. I, want, I thought we'd talk just a little bit about the dangers of distraction. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we even having this series? I mean, uh, you know, it happened again uh, the other day. I was driving down the road. I'm coming back from Memphis toward Henderson, where I live. It's a distance about 85 miles. And I'm driving down the road. I thought, did I go through Somerville or not? Has that ever happened to you? I don't even know if I... It's a whole town, and I cannot even remember if I've been through it. This is not good. In this case, it's relatively benign. I did not encounter some kind of a dangerous thing in the, in the town of Somerville, and I managed to go through unscathed without remembering it. Uh, no insult intended to the good people of Somerville. I'm sure their town is quite memorable to them. But for me, I just didn't even notice it. Why? Well, I was in my own head. There wasn't anything going on there. It's just I had other things on my mind, occupied by different kinds of things. And, and that's a relatively harmless sort of distraction, at least in this case. But sometimes our distractions are not so harmless. Um, we see, we saw another car wreck on the way here. I see them regularly. You do too. And there's an awful lot of talk these days. When I was growing up, uh, we used to hear about, about DUI. 
or DWI, driving while intoxicated or driving under the influence. These days, you hear a whole lot more about distracted driving, right? Uh, and usually by that, what people mean is somebody's on their old cell phone and they're not paying attention. Like none of us were ever distracted while we were driving before cell phones showed up. I'm pretty well distracted by McDonald's hamburger sometimes when I'm driving. I've, I've allowed that to happen. There are a lot of different kinds of things that can, can distract a person. Well, there was a study conducted uh, a number of years ago by the Washington Post. And it was cell phones, obviously. You could almost tell the study was designed to show how dangerous cell phones were to driving, how we could get distracted by those kinds of things. And certainly, that did prove to be one of the primary distractions that people deal with. It turns out it was number six of various distractions that people have. I don't care if it's number 27. I don't care if it's 175th. If it distracts anybody and they get in my path, it's a bad thing. Okay, So I'm not in any way uh, making, a, making a, anything all that non-serious about that. But as it turns out, uh, a lot more people were distracted by rubbernecking than they were by their cell phone. You know, you're driving along the road, you see something over here, you know, it's a, everything from a cow to a car accident can distract you, and more people are distracted and more accidents owe to that than they do cell phone usage. At least they did at that time, which is interesting. I think people found that kind of surprising. You know what's even more surprising to me? Two-thirds of car accidents are caused by distractions inside the vehicle. And that's only a fraction of that is cell phone usage. There are a lot of different kinds of things that can distract us. As it turns out, what's going on in my head can be just as distracting as what's going on around me if my, if my phone rings or something like that. It occurs to me that that's not only true while we're driving, and there's a good likelihood that the vast majority of the things which cause problems in our lives, these distractions that we deal with, are distractions inside our own heads. This is the loudest and most distressing kind of thing most of us deal with is the things that's going on inside us. And so, why is that a big deal? Well, think about the kinds of things that this results in. Think about all the time that you have wasted. Now, this is a, this is a church setting, so we're interested not only in the fact that maybe our productivity may be down. I think that for employers, they might be concerned about whether or not the employee is less productive because of those kinds of things that are swimming around in the noggins. Uh, but you and I may be concerned about what kinds of things are not happening spiritually. For example, if, if I'm so busy with other things that I don't have time to study the Bible, to pray, and to meet together with the people of God... Uh, I don't have time to go out and do some of the kinds of things that Matthew chapter 25 mentions we ought to be about, visiting people when they're hurting and taking care of their needs. If I'm distracted by other things and I don't have time to do that, that's a problem. Don't think that the only kinds of things that distract us from doing the things God calls us to do are external to us. Well, I don't have enough time to meet together with saints because I'm at a job that meets at that time. Certainly sometimes that happens. Uh, it's not just that I don't have time to go out and visit the sick and afflicted because I'm busy with my kids' ball games or whatever. Certainly that happens as well. But my guess is, if you're anything like me, you waste countless minutes and even hours during any given month just being distracted by your own thoughts, 
stuff that you are more occupied by. You are less efficient, let's put it that way, in some of the ways that you handle life because your mind is racing and thinking about things that maybe you don't have to or spending more time than necessary thinking about things. Wasted time, missed opportunities, neglected relationships, things that you ought to be doing to engage other people. Instead, you're trapped inside unproductive thinking in your own mind. And it prevents you from being able to enjoy those relationships. Or you're poisoned by kinds of thoughts that you ought not be having, and those things have a negative impact. We're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. And then distractions can cause problems with temptation. Have you ever had that feeling before? Something happens, you find yourself in a very, very unpleasant situation. You say, I didn't see that coming. Well, No, you didn't. Because you were thinking about something else entirely instead of focusing on the kinds of things maybe that you ought to be focused on. And that's really key to our discussion tonight. The opposite of distraction is focus. We need spiritual focus. We need focus in a variety of areas of our lives. But we especially need spiritual focus to make sure that we are thinking about the right things, that we are devoting our thoughts to the right kinds of things in the right proportions. What does the Bible have to say about that? Some of you guys are sitting there thinking, well, I hope he gets around to talking about what the Bible has to say about that because I don't care what Mark Blackwelder has to say about it. You know what? I don't either. So let's think a little bit about this, and we'll start in the passages that we've already read together. We walk in the flesh, but we're not waging war according to the flesh. There is a phrase that is the kind of the nexus of what I want to spend a little time thinking about today, and it's found in the latter part of this passage where we're told that it is our aim to take every thought captive to obey Christ, to own our thoughts, to direct them instead of being directed by them. We sometimes are a bit passive when it comes to our thinking. We are occupied by the latest thought to come down the pipe, or maybe a thought that was introduced into our minds by somebody else, maybe even somebody we don't like or somebody we don't agree with, but it's there now and we can't seem to break free from that very unproductive or distracting thought. You and I are urged by Paul, along with the Corinthians, to think about taking our thoughts captive, to focus. Now, I, uh, I remember hearing this guy. It, we, we get a lot of people uh, who are dealing with some kinds of emotional and psychological and mental conditions of various kinds. Some of those are very, very serious psychoses. Others of them, less so, maybe a little bit more commonplace. Uh, for example, some people are said to have had uh, tension deficit hyperactivity disorder, a very significant challenge. Perhaps some of your families are afflicted by that, and you know what a challenge that can be. Uh, I remember hearing a guy one time say, I'm afflicted with ADOS, attention deficit, oh, shiny. Uh, we were just very, we were just very distracted by the latest thing to come along. Now, I hope I'm not making fun of anybody's real concerns in that regard. But much, many more of us are afflicted by that condition of just being very non-focused, of being very susceptible to the latest thing to come down the pipe, things of that nature. What I'm going to urge us to do tonight, I think, what Paul urges his readers to do, is to stay focused. 
to take control of our thoughts. This is a difficult thing to accomplish, but the Bible never asks us to do something that is impossible for us to do. Unapologetically, the Bible sometimes asks us to do things that we cannot do on our own. Anybody ever tells you God ever ever asked anything too big for you, that's not true. God asks a lot of things that are too big for you. He just doesn't ask anything that's too big for you and Him. And taking control of our thoughts is one of those things that God challenges us to do in His Word. So let's take a look at some things that we can use to take our thoughts captive, to take control of our thinking, to move forward in ways that are actually helpful and prevent us from being carried away by distractions within our own mind. Number one, think on purpose. Choose to think about certain things. Now, this is going to be difficult. It certainly is for me, so I'm assuming it might be for you as well. But we tend to spend an awful lot of time thinking about things that if you ask, is this the thing you'd really like to be thinking about? You say, no, that's not the thing I'd like to be thinking about, but I can't help it. Well, is that true? Are we victims of our thought circumstances? Well, the Bible doesn't seem to think so. In Philippians chapter 4, a passage that's well known to you, we're told to choose what kinds of things to think about, as if we actually could. Who knew? We can choose to think about some things instead of thinking about other things. But here's what we usually try to do. All right, you ready? I'm thinking this unproductive thought. I'm dealing with feelings that I... By the way, you guys understand that feelings are emotional thoughts, right? You don't have a separate organ for your feelings. It all comes from your mind. So feelings are emotional thoughts. So you've got feelings or other kinds of thoughts that you're dealing with, and you think, I don't want to think about that. So you say, I'm going to stop thinking about it. Have you ever, have you ever done I mean, you may not actually make that horrible face, but you know, you, you've got that kind of, I'm not going to think about that anymore. Well, the Bible does not urge us to avoid unproductive or unhealthy thinking by simply stopping it. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that we need to choose to think about other things. As it turns out, when you are thinking about one thing, you are not thinking about something else. You guys have heard an awful lot in recent years about multitasking. This is terminology that comes to us from the computer world. Back during the days when I was first getting involved with computers, uh, the processors were very slow, and they were capable of only doing one process at a time. Now, they can do many processes at a time, and they refer to that as multitasking. It's really a misnomer. There is no such thing as multitasking. I refer to it as alternatasking. What's actually happening is that the processor, moving very, very quickly, alternates between various processes at such a, at such a speed that we cannot detect that two things are not running at the same time. Your brain, similarly, though it's not really built like a computer, there's an awful lot of biology that's well beyond my pay grade, but we have the capacity to focus on one thing at a time, and that means when I choose to focus on one thing, I'm choosing not to focus on something else. This is what Paul is telling the Philippians. Choose to think about what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. Think on those things. Occupy your mind with things that are healthy and appropriate and honorable, and there will be less time for your brain to focus on those things that are inappropriate and unhealthy. Make a choice. 
think on purpose. This is what I'm going to think about right now. I don't care if you have to say that out loud. I've had enough of this over here that's unhealthy. I have decided to think about this kind of thing. I'm going to pick something out that is good and appropriate and healthy and positive, and I'm going to replace the unhealthy thoughts that I'm having with that. When I begin to be distracted, I'm going to yank myself back on point, and I'm going to think about that again. We used to have this little dog. The dog's name was Awesome. The dog could hardly have been less awesome, unless you consider the disproportionately large ears the dog had. Uh, the dog also had very short legs. Okay, So we would be at the house, and the dog, the dog had a tendency to wander off. She weighed about uh, six pounds, something like that, some kind of terrier. Lord only knows about the dog's lineage. Uh, but Dana would go to the door, and she'd say, Come here, Awesome. And Awesome would start that way. But the problem is, Awesome's nose was about that far from the ground and very sensitive. Awesome was very easily distracted. Awesome was like us, in other words. Very easily distracted. Has her attention called to something that's right and good, but easily distracted. We need to call ourselves back to thoughts that are healthy and positive. And give yourself permission to say, okay, I drifted off. I don't mean during the sermon. I mean, when you're thinking about stuff, and give yourself permission to do that too if you want to, but give yourself permission to say, okay, I, I set out to think about this good thing, but you know what? I got distracted. That old, that old ugly thing that I was thinking about earlier showed back up again. Okay, fine. Just because you fail don't need, doesn't mean you need to continue to fail. To say, okay, wait a minute. I'm coming back. If you've been on a diet and you actually, you know, I did this. Dana was out of town. And I thought, I'm going to eat good while she's gone. I am. I'm going to eat good. And so I decided I was going to not have any carbs, which for me is like saying I'm not going to breathe any air. Because I, mean, I love carbohydrates. But I said, the time she's gone, I'm not going to eat carbohydrates. So I'm, I'm not eating any carbohydrates. I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm having meat and some vegetables. I was eating spinach. Anyway, so I was just bragging on myself. Stuff. But, you know, I really wanted a little something. So I, there was some ice cream in the refrigerator. I thought, dairy is okay, right? Ice cream's made out of milk. So I'm, at, I'm enjoying my ice cream. And then it occurred to me, and ice cream is also sugar. And sugar is what carbohydrates turn into. Anyway, uh, so I crashed and burned. Okay, that's the short version of that, semi-short version of that. So I got a choice at that point. Okay, I, I, I failed. So my choice is, do I say to Dana when she comes back, I ate well for the first two days? Or do I get back on and do better and say, I did real well four out of the five days? In other words, do I allow my failure to define the rest of the time? And the answer is, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I'd say I'll do better. I'll do better next time. I did, better for, I did well four out of the five days. If those ugly thoughts come back in, acknowledge that. And then say, but I repurpose to bring to the front of my mind those things that are right and good. I will think on these things. All right? So, number one, think on purpose. Number two, streamline. Dan and I were talking last night about our life. Uh, we are new empty nesters at this point. The kids are grown. 
son's in college, so he's liable to bounce back a little bit in the next year or so. He's a senior, but you know we're we're basically there. And so we we've got 16 acres out in the country. We've got cows and horses and goats and sheep and a llama and peacocks. And I've got 16 acres to either mow or bush hog. We've got equipment, therefore, that i got to continue to work on because if you farm at all, you know the vast majority of your time is spent working on equipment. Anyway, so I've got all that stuff, and it's just in our lives, and it's just, we're saying, you know, maybe we need to streamline. Maybe we don't need 16 acres. It was great when the kids were little and could feed the animals. Now I've got to go out there and do it. Uh, maybe we don't need all that stuff in our lives. And so we're thinking about, well, maybe it's time for us to sell this place and buy someplace smaller. And we don't need all the rooms that are in the house right now. And just all the, the overhead, the, not only the physical, but also just the mental and emotional overhead that goes with a complicated life. Maybe we need to streamline. That's true of our thinking as well. We frequently try to entertain way too many things, and we end up thinking poorly about many things instead of thinking well about fewer things. Does God have anything to say about that? I believe he does. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, at the conclusion of this section on anxiety, where we're urged to remember that God loves us and he has promised to take care of us, and if he's going to take care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field, then he's certainly going to take care of us because he loves us a lot more than those things. And then at the end, almost as what appears to us to be an afterthought, I don't think it is, uh, and I still think about the, the good old King James Version of the Bible when I first memorized these passages, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, right? Uh, I think this translation, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has enough trouble of its own, some translations say. But the idea is that God gives us time in manageable bites. If you have ever wished that you could know the future, you need to repent. You do not want to know the future. It's exhausting to know what I already know. I don't have enough mental acuity to be able to deal with all the stuff that I could not possibly ride herd on. God intentionally gave me a limited sight line. That's true physically. The horizon prevents me from seeing too far down the road, even if I had 20-20 vision these days. But God also, in terms of time, gives us a limited sight line. We're only supposed to see so much because we can only deal with that which is before us. And if too much is before us, we get overwhelmed by it. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Streamline your life. Take on less. Take on less responsibility, if it's appropriate, but take on less thoughts. Choose to think about less and to think better about other things or less things. Streamline your life. The Lord gives us permission to take a narrower view of things than we sometimes do. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tune in to God's voice. When several years ago, we were in Venice, Italy. And of course, you're in another country. People are speaking every kind of language. So I suspect most of it was probably Italian. I don't know Italian, so it'd be difficult for me to say one way or another. But there are a lot of visitors to a touristy city like, uh, actually, this took place in Venice. Did I say Florence? Venice is what I was talking about. Anyway, uh, so all of a sudden, I heard a voice that I could understand. My, my, my brain involuntarily tuned in to that voice. Now, after I listened to him for a second, I realized I probably needed to listen to somebody else more intelligent. 
But nonetheless, I was inclined to tune into his voice because it was the kind of thing that I was listening for, right? What I'm listening for affects what I hear. Listen for God's voice. Tune in to him. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, again, a very familiar passage of Scripture, Eli is responsible for the young boy, Samuel, from the time he's very, very young, and Samuel goes to live with him, and apparently sleeping nearby, he hears something in the middle of the night, so he goes and assumes it's Eli calling for him, you remember? Eli said, I didn't call for you, go back and lay down and get some sleep. So after two or three times, finally Eli, said, he's been interacting with God for longer, he said, okay, here's what you do. Next time you hear that voice that you think is me, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant hears. And of course, it was God speaking to Samuel. Samuel expresses his willingness, not because he'd already been hearing the voice, but he clearly did not understand what God was trying to do. So the next step there is tuning in so that you actually get the message God is trying to send. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Boy, we need to, we need to start every day with that mindset. There are so many competing noises in our world. We live in a noisy world, don't we? And I'm not just talking about our auditory world. There's just a lot of things competing for our attention. A lot of things to distract us. We're the most distracted people, surely, ever that has existed. Just thinking about all the things that are competing for my attention and for yours. We need to start today saying, okay, dear Lord, I know there's going to be a lot of stuff out there competing for my attention, but I want your voice to be the loudest one in my ears. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to do what you want us to do. I want to care more about the things that are important to you than I care about what's important to anybody else. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. We need to tune in to God. Number next, I have no idea what number this is at this point. I'll lose track. I think it's four. Avoid what I've heard called, and you perhaps have as well, stinking thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, that kind of negativity that sometimes enters your head and you just dwell on it. It's not healthy, it's not productive, it's not good, but yet it's consuming you. Stinking thinking would include things like jealousy, for example. Wanting what somebody else wants and just allowing that to consume you, whether it's a thing or whether it's a position at work, or whether it's recognition. Stinking thinking doesn't just simply acknowledge that that might be something you'd like to have. Stinking thinking is, I am upset about the fact that I don't have that, and I have very negative feelings towards somebody else because they do. Okay, that's one kind of stinking thinking. Or maybe it's fear. Uh, you're concerned about what might happen. It's, it's very undesirable. You may or may not know that that's going to happen, but you think it might, and you begin to rehearse all the negative things that are going to happen if that takes place. Did you hear the word if there? You don't even know what's going to happen, and yet you're allowing this to consume your thoughts and to cause you to think very negatively about the future rather than thinking about the future with optimism. You're thinking about the future with pessimism. I understand there's a place for being realistic. I am by nature optimistic, I guess. As a matter of fact, even my blood type would be positive. But... And that's not a joke, it actually is. But, uh, but at the same time, it's sometimes there's real life that, that horns in. Dana will look, occasionally talk to me about a possibility, what if, and I become the realist all the time. Well, yeah, but this is going to happen, you know. Uh, just just even, even today, 
uh, some friends of ours asked if we could go camping. Well, we really wanted to do that. So Dana was pitching out, thought maybe we could go there and bring the, bring the camper with us and we could leave from there. And I'm saying, yeah, but then here's this and that. I mean, you have to be realistic, but sometimes we move from realism to pessimism without really giving opportunities a chance. A friend of mine spent uh, five years as a missionary in Romania. He told me this. He said, you know what the difference between a Romanian optimist and a Romanian pessimist is? The Romanian pessimist says things just couldn't get any worse. And the Romanian optimist says, sure they could. <laughs> uh, we're a bit like that sometimes, right? We, we participate in this stinking thinking. We're just imagining all the terrible things that might happen rather than thinking about what God has called us to, opportunities that lie ahead, the way that he is going to be active in our world to cause good things to happen, that he'll be honored and we'll be blessed. We need to avoid that kind of stinking thinking. Jonah is our case study here. You remember the story of Jonah, the whole book of Jonah is full of stinking thinking on Jonah's part, right? Uh, he, he, God wants to send him to Assyria, to Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. He wants to send him to Assyria. Jonah doesn't want to go, not because he thinks it won't work, but because he thinks it will. I refer to him sometimes as the reluctant unmissionary, the most successful missionary ever. Every single person who heard the message from the king of Nineveh on down said yes, and boy, was Jonah ticked off. He didn't like that at all. As a matter of fact, he goes up on the hill overlooking the city of Nineveh and pouts. And uh, God says, are you, are you upset about what's going on here? And Jonah says, and I'm here. This is New Revised Mark Blackwilder translation. Are you kidding me? I knew this was going to happen. I didn't want it to. These people were the enemies of Israel. So Jonah goes up here, pouts. God causes this gourd to grow up over him. He likes the gourd. Then God causes the gourd to wither by pointing a worm. By the way, I've always found it very encouraging. God must have something I can do because he appointed a worm for a job one time. Uh, but God appointed the worm. The, the, vi the vine dies. Jonah's pouting about that. And God says, let's put this into perspective. Uh, you're upset because what I asked you to do worked. And I'm telling you, what about this 120,000 people who, spiritually speaking, don't know their right hand from their left? Don't you think I ought to be concerned about it? In the midst of all that, Jonah says, Lord, please take my life, for it is better to me to die than to live. Now, I'm not talking about people who may be dealing with depression issues and actually be considering suicide here. What Jonah is doing is thinking, thinking. He is saying, I, am so, I find what is happening in my life so distasteful that I just can't see anything good. And God said, well, you know, some really good things happened here, but they were good things that I cared about, and apparently you didn't. Sometimes we become consumed by things not developing the way that we wish they would, and we just get stuck in that endless, repeating cycle of negativity. I'm, I'm old enough to remember uh, record albums and 45s with a needle, that goes along there when the record gets scratched, click, click, over and over. Same, same thing over. We're, we're like that sometimes. By the way, for those of you who are young, a record is like a CD. All right. Anyway, um, we get stuck in disruptive and inappropriate patterns of thought. Jonah's there. The whole, the whole story of the book of Jonah is about that kind of thing. Number next, five, I think. Learn to discern. Learn to discern. Part of healthy thought, part of mature thought, 
is learning to discern. When our children are young, uh, a number of options may be presented to them, and all of those options may look equally good to them. But you know, as a mature adult, that some, one of those options is very unhealthy, perhaps even dangerous, and another option is much, much better or even ideal. But you know that as a result of the maturity that you've developed as be, from being a human being for a period of time and seeing a lot of water flow under your bridge, as it were. We want our children to learn to discern. We want them to grow up mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. God wants that for his people as well. In Romans chapter 12, uh, God says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or your spiritual service of worship, verse 1. And then, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may, by testing, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There it is. Learn to discern. You do this by training your mind, by testing the things that you see and hear and learning a better way of thinking about life. Make no mistake here. This is not just saying, okay, there is a thus saith the Lord for this. There's a thus saith the Lord for a lot of things. But I haven't found a thus saith the Lord for use of the Internet. But there are some principles in Scripture that can be applied to a variety of different things that we deal with right now, and we need to learn to discern the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. Jesus didn't have to deal with some of the specific things we have to deal with, but Jesus dealt with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He dealt with the kinds of things that we have to deal with, and he established a healthy way of thinking about all of those situations so that he always chose appropriately. He trained his mind over a period of time. He's 30 years old by the time he begins his ministry. He grows up in a house led by a godly man and godly woman, Joseph and Mary. And there he learned how to think about spiritual things and other things in ways that are a result of mature discernment. You and I need to take a look at our world, grow up in that respect, and learn to discern what God's will is. In a given situation, ask God, what is it that you want me to do here? And by the way, this is not only in the face of temptation, though certainly that would be one category. When we are faced with temptation, we need to, be, need to say, okay, what principles from Scripture can I apply to this situation? But can I suggest that we need to learn to think about other kinds of situations where sin may not even be involved. Maybe it's a question of priorities. Maybe it's a question of how we handle an awkward or difficult relationship with another person. How do we... How do we do good in that situation? How do we work for a better result? How do we grow? How do we budget our time so that we can spend our time doing things that will help us to grow as a spiritual person? Learning to discern in all situations will help us to deal with distraction. You see, one of the things that God did when he created us, he made us in his image. That means that we have the capacity to do things that affect our own destiny, just as he does. We do not have the same degree of capacity in that regard that he does. We don't have the same amount of power he has, the same amount of knowledge he has, the same amount of love he has. We are more limited in all of these ways, but we have the capacity to make decisions 
that will affect our life and the lives of others around us. In order to do that, we need to focus. The things that are circulating around our head, we need to weigh those against what Scripture says. We need to think on purpose about things that are good and healthy. We need to streamline our lives so that we have the time to focus on those things which are good and healthy. We need to learn to discern so that we can make good decisions. Those require a level of focus that can only be the case if we push the distractions to the side and fill ourselves up with those things which are good and honorable. And that's the challenge, I think, for us, and it's what I call us to tonight. It may be that you take a look at your life right now, and you're good church-going folks, but it may be you take a look at your life right now and realize you have allowed the distractions of this world to take you in the wrong path. It may be there's sin in your life, and if that's the case, I'm going to encourage you, whether you're a Christian right now or whether you just need to take that step. I want to encourage you to do that tonight, but I don't want you... I, I think we all need to respond to the invitation tonight. I'm going to start. I already did it during the preparing of this lesson. It may not need to be a public thing, but perhaps a resolve to start feeding your mind healthy things so that the distractions of this life will not dominate. Maybe that's something we could all decide to do tonight. Because there are indeed many ways of allowing our mind to be carried off by things that are unhealthy for us spiritually. God would call us to master the distractions and to focus on things that are healthy. If we can be of service to you in any way or help you, please let me know. We'd be glad to help if you would come as we stand and sing together.